0: Well, thank you. You know, uh, it's a privilege to be here. I, I think if you take anything away from today, it's that you're not alone, okay? That, you know, when it comes to the legal end of things, I'm also an ordained pastor. I pastor Crosswalk in Virginia Beach my spare time, so uh, I figured I'd never get into heaven as a lawyer. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm hedging my bets. But, but it really does help me because uh, we have, uh, you know, I, I have a complex business law group uh, and a subset of that is nonprofits, and a subset of that is church. And so we found a tremendous application of taking really good complex business law principles and bringing them into the church. So, uh, working with churches all over the country gives me a macro vision of what's happening in the body of Christ, then, pastoring on the weekends in the weeds uh you know is is I think what gives me more of a sensitivity to what your lives are like, and all of our lives are like trying to build team. We did a, a startup church it's a satellite campus uh and we're in about our third year we we're just under a hundred people uh I'm in Tidewater, Virginia, so half the people transfer out, and I get a new team I, just when I get everybody built, they get deployed somewhere else and I was like man, you know hundred you know eighty. 120, 90, you know, it's like, gosh, you know, but so I feel your pain. Uh, uh, but, you know, the uh, we've had the privilege of being able to uh, work with Hillsong, we we structured all of Hillsong in America. Uh, and so we're the architects for that, for Planet Shakers, we've done their work. Uh, we work with the Assemblies of God. I'm the uh, council in the United States for the Church God of Prophecy, which is in Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, and I'm licensed in Tennessee and Virginia, but we work with churches in all 50 states. Uh, and so we, ha- we have the privilege of just being able to touch the body of Christ. And when we get that opportunity, uh, we kind of feel like. like. Like Joseph of Arimathea, when he took the body of Christ off the cross, he he took it down to dress it, you know. And so from a legal perspective, my whole group, we're all believers. uh, And, uh, you know, our our honor and our privilege is being able to in any way touch the church. We're not trying to change it. We're not trying to change a tradition or a particular polity uh, because we work with high church, low church, everything in between. Uh, We're just trying to make it better. And so that's kind of the perspective that we come to. Uh, this book, in this particular uh, uh, moment for all of us, comes out of a real passion and a real experience. I have a friend who's a psychologist. His name is uh, Dr. Eric Scalise, and he works with burned-out ministers all over the country. He's, he's, he's uh, been a tremendous asset behind the scenes for many people. And whenever he works with the pastors, uh, he always gives them the questionnaire, and invariably, uh, you know, he asks, why did you ever get in the ministry? And of, of almost 100% of the pastors will say they got in the ministry to preach the Bible and help people. Uh, But the problem is 95% of a pastor's life has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the business of church. Uh, And yet, because there's no training, I'm hoping to take this particular handbook. Uh, uh, By the way, I was going to find out who. uh, I can't afford to give all my books away, but I give one. Uh, Who's here from the furthest place? Who's going to travel the furthest today? Haiti? Virginia Beach. Oh, Virginia Beach. Okay. We have Florida? Where? South. South Africa. Okay, you get it. Okay. <laughs> Here, let's send this back, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm hoping to be able to translate this into a text that will go into seminaries and into Bible schools because there needs to be some training for pastors in business. They don't have to be, uh, you know, I have a master's in business, but it sure helps if you have some orientation into what's going on. So uh, my publicist, when I I had the idea for this handbook, he said it needs to be longer. I said, you don't understand my audience. (laughs) We're talking about pastors and I'm trying to get them into the space enough to be able to say, okay, we really need to look at this and then pass it probably to some of the staff that's in the room here, uh, and then connect, and the whole thing is about connecting, so it would be our honor, our privilege to serve you in any way we can, but let me let you into the space just to give you an idea of what's happening, you know, uh, as, as we go into this. Uh, you know, the the point is, and I just mentioned from, from my experience, uh, pastors didn't sign on for this, that most pastors, uh, you know, time is managing the business of church. It's not preaching. It's not teaching. It's not, a, in many cases, even helping people. It's the administration. It's the fundraising. It's the contracts. It's the venue seeking. It's the zoning. It's uh, the employment issues, all of the things that you're faced with that nobody ever tells you about. Uh, you know, there's no course on that. You're getting ecclesiastical uh, training, but nothing else. And so, you know, I feel like this moment and the whole idea of of what I, I'd like us to, to walk away with is that God wants us to think past lunch. He always thinks generationally. He thinks in terms of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, you know, even if you're from an already established church and maybe you inherited it, uh, uh, the point is it's not just about you. Uh, it's about the next generation. It's about setting up the people under you and behind you for success. And so no matter what you're in, any business, any church, you're going to be involved and you're going to be faced with transition. And the definition of transition is uh, it's a kind word for disruption or change, that a church is full of transition. There's employment transitions coming in and out. There are people that come in and out. There are venue issues like we heard about today. And, and uh, you know, you get a, a one-week notice that all of a sudden you can't meet where you were going to meet before. Uh, You get the city fathers who don't like you because of something that happened. You've got uh, now we've got uh, safety issues in the churches. You know, can you carry? Can you not carry? Uh, Can your your ushers actually be armed? Can they not be armed? These kind of issues you know we never had to face before. Uh, but now we're, we're in a myriad of these things, so the word transition is a big deal. And, and, you know, there's this thing, and I appreciated the mention of a book called Passing the Baton, which I've never read. Uh, but uh, it really, uh, that whole concept is about the transition zone. That, you know, right now, the Bible says that first comes this, the natural, and then comes the spiritual. And right now, we're in the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of America, Uh, between World War uh, II and the baby boomers onto the millennials. uh, It's the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of this country. I believe that's a spiritual thing that's happening also. I believe that there's a passing going on. There is an actual transition going on. And the races, the succession planning is good planning, but races are won or lost in this area called the transition zone. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember the the uh, men's and women's relays in China many years ago, but we sent the most fabulous teams uh, that had ever been assembled to do these relay races, and every one of our athletes in America was a world record holder, so nobody really questioned whether we were going to win the gold. The question is who would come in second and third. Uh, The problem, though, with all of our teams was nobody practiced the handoff. And so, you know, our men, you know, uh, were, were lining up and they, they were coming to do their thing. And you may not be able to see it over here, but maybe point up there if you could, uh, if you're close enough to, to where the baton is. The baton's down there, okay? They kept blowing the handoff. And here's another example of, you know, uh, they just failed to, fake, to, to focus on this handoff. And so, you know, at the end of the day, Uh, you know, our guys who were supposed to just set records, they were only thinking about their lap and uh, they weren't thinking about the handoff. And so uh, I don't know about you, but when I finish my race, that is not the look I want on my face. I want to know not only did I run my lap in my race, but I also passed the baton. Properly to the next generation, which is really what we're talking about when you're talking about wrapping the church, you know, in all of the the legal area, is we're setting up the next generation for a win, not just our own particular lap. That particular China Olympics, the women had the exact same experience. World record holders, everybody expected us to win the gold. And again, the women, fastest women in the world, they didn't pay attention in the transition zone. And so they dropped the baton. They were disqualified. Finally, the women got their act together, and they did win later on. But it was such a visual, you know, of how important not just your lap is, not just my lap is, but what about the one behind us? Are we paying attention to this handoff? Are we bringing people along? And from a legal perspective, are we setting? the church up for succession in a way that isn't just a crapshoot or, or chaos. A Chinese fire drill, if there's some kind of a leadership change or or a disconnect going on there, is it just going to be a scramble fest? Or are we going to actually have something that we can work with? So this transition zone is a big deal. And a lot of people will say, well, why do I want to care about this? My, my church is doing fine. And, and you know, it's too much work. Let the next guy work, worry about it. And I just say, well, gosh, I'm, I think I'm reading a different Bible than you are, you know, because it's not about you, yeah. you know. Uh, it's about the kingdom of God. It's about setting everybody up for a win. So, so one good reason why, why you should care, I should care, our leadership team should care about this whole area is that transition zone. We cannot pass things on properly if we don't have them set up for a win and organized properly. So, you know, that, that's reason number one. Number two, and some of this is covered in the book, but, you know, it's not unspiritual to know your legal rights. I've met a lot of people who are just resistant to have this conversation. It's like, well, I don't really want to talk about that. I mean, let's talk about you know, Genesis or uh, you know, let's talk about you know, the book of Revelation. You know, and, and, and it's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's not unspiritual. In fact, it could be part of God's plan to help extend our ministries. So my reference to that is, is uh, again, in the book of Acts, and, uh, you know, when, when uh, Paul was about ready to be beaten uh, in the book of Acts and he looked over his shoulder and he said, you realize I am a Roman citizen. And uh, the beating stopped at that point you know, his particular guard went out and got the, the captain of the guard, and, and they came in, and they said, well, 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 you know, what do you mean you're a Roman citizen? He said, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. Well, it was against the law to beat a Roman citizen who had not had a trial, so it extended Paul's ministry. He was going to be martyred, but not that day, yeah, and I think we're in a period right now of extension in America. And there are extensions happening that are provided for us if we know our legal rights. So it's not unspiritual to know our legal rights. We need to know them so that we can extend the ministry. The problem is that, that you know, we're in a legal environment where God wants us to affirm people, but society wants us to affirm behavior. And we can't do that and preach the Bible, and believe in the Bible. We, we want all people to come. When I was interviewing the son of Sam, uh, David Berkowitz, up in Sullivan uh, Maximum Security Prison, we had a wonderful time together. He's a believer. He's been serving the Lord for over 30 years now. Uh, and uh, I just grilled him on so many different questions uh, about the authenticity of his real conversion and, and everything. And it was it was powerful. But at the end, uh, of, of the interview i said well david and he brought in this this uh, uh this worn bible of, of his and and i said well david is there anything you'd like me, like to say that we didn't cover he said yeah there actually is and he turned open to revelation he said i just want i want people to know that god loves people he loves all people and, and and he read the scripture, the spirit and the bride say come from Revelation, let the one who is, hears uh, say come, and let the one who's thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. So we're living you know, in an age where the heart of God is for our churches to reach everybody. But that doesn't mean we can affirm all behavior. We can love people and not affirm all behavior at the same time. But it's complicated. You know, especially in the environment we live in today, and that's where my particular area comes in. And so, you know, uh, in in Ephesians chapter 6, I love what the Message Bible says. It says, and that about wraps it up. God is strong. He wants you strong. I'm a lawyer, by the way, so I don't have to be a theologian. Okay, I can read the Message Bible, all right? You guys can go read this in the King James if you want to. So, take everything the Master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up against everything the devil throws your way take everything the master has set out for you and put them to use and then that particular passage goes on and says this is no afternoon athletic contest that we're going to walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours this is for keeps a life or death struggle fight to the finish against the devil and his angels be prepared you're up against far more than you can handle on your own. That is the whole message of this art conference about family, that that we don't have to do this on our own. We are up uh, against far more than we can handle on our own. If you feel like you can't do it alone, uh, you're right. You can't. I can't. We can't do it alone. So it says, take all the help you can get, every weapon, God has issued. It's a tough angle over on this side, but I've got a a picture of a special ops soldier here. We live in Hampton, Virginia, Tidewater, Virginia. It's the headquarters for SEAL Team team 6, for the Atlantic Fleet, uh, it's the headquarters for the nuclear stockpile for the East Coast. We've got Oceana. Uh, we've got, you know, uh, all kinds of military presence in our particular area. And so it's not tough to orient somebody in my town to uh, the importance of all the equipment. I did some research once, and just to, to, to uh, fund one soldier, and that equipment is about a million dollars per soldier. So all the equipment that it takes to put in, to 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 design, to uh, you know, give him an advantage, in and hopefully to win any battle, uh, a tremendous thought, tremendous cost, tremendous research has, has gone into it. It would be absurd for this guy to say, "Well, I don't like the the night vision goggles. They're the color green, and, and they make me nauseated." you know, or, or I don't want to wear the Kevlar vest because it's constricting and it makes me hot. Uh, or I like the gun. I just don't like the bullets, Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, because they're loud and they make me nervous, okay? Uh, you know, the soldier is going to put on everything that has been created for him because he wants to win. And he wants to survive, first of all, you know, and then he wants to win. But the church— has been famous for selecting only certain pieces of the of the uh, equipment and leaving the rest on the shelf, yeah. and that's the reason we get beat up sometimes and wounded when we shouldn't be. Is because we haven't put on all the weapons that God has provided, well devised weapons, so that we can actually have you know uh, the victory. So uh, when you get into the legal area, that's that's where we come in. Uh, it's, we're just part of the weapons. We're not the only weapon. Your tremendous training and fellowship and relationships and all the things we're talking about here, it's, it's, it's a part of a whole, but we are part of the weapons. And, and we're something that, that as pastors and as church leaders, we've got to many times convince uh, our, the leadership in the church, we have to do this. Uh, this is for our own sake that we have to really understand this or at least bring in family that does understand it. And that's what I want to encourage you in today, that there are a few of us, there are probably five of us in the country who are actually church law authorities. We get it. Uh, We understand both the corporate end and we understand the church end, and we can marry them together in a way that doesn't make you crazy, okay? Uh, but, But again, sometimes we've got to bring in family. So I look at this particular soldier, and I want every weapon that God has issued. I don't know about you. You know, I got saved in 1972 in law school at William & Mary, uh, and again, I know the Bible says, "Woe to you, lawyers!" But actually, God found me in law school, and uh, you know, I got saved. I got baptized in the Brazos River in Texas. Anybody from Texas? You know, I got I got saved the Brazos River. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit the next day after I got saved, uh, and somebody said, "Well, do you want to receive the Holy Spirit?" I said, "Well, I don't know what that is, but I just want everything." I'm supposed to have. Can I have it, please? You know, and so there's no theology involved, but it was basically, I want the equipment. I want the whole thing. And that's where God wants us to get into this space. Um, I want to encourage you. Part of the agenda of the devil today is to try to intimidate pastors and churches from going out and taking territory. And so it can be very confusing in the landscape we, we live in today when you see the same-sex uh, uh, ruling that's come down that basically, you know, uh, the Supreme Court now says that, you know, you can have same-sex marriages, and what does that mean, and have and, and I just uh, lost the ability to, to make certain decisions? Uh, uh, can I do what God's called us to do, or do I have to somehow compromise Uh, you know, in in our staff or in our volunteers or who we let into key positions. And, you know, I just wanna encourage you today, the answer to that, even though that was a chilling sight, when we saw that, you know, on the national news, uh, the answer is a resounding no. You don't have to compromise. These are five questions I get regularly throughout the country. They're legitimate questions from churches and from leaders. It all goes down to what does this mean for me and my church? Uh, does this mean am I required to marry same-sex couples? If I'm a pastor and somebody comes and says that, that, that you know they want to, they want me to marry them, do I have to say yes? What what does this mean now? Or uh, do I have to? Uh, am I required to conduct uh, uh, celebrations? Uh, important one? Can I refuse to employ? Uh, someone, uh, a person on my staff who's gay or homosexual, transgender, remember, we love people, but we don't have to affirm all behavior because the Bible is very clear on, on, you know, if we're going to follow the Lord, we can't make up new rules. Okay, Uh, can I restrict volunteers from serving? So what happens if somebody on your staff comes out and says, hey, you know, I'm, uh, you know, sexually confused and and, but I still want to be on your staff. Uh, Can you can you let that person go or are you going to invite a title uh, seven sex discrimination suit Uh, or what? What about in the volunteer area? Uh, what happens if somebody comes and says, well, yeah, uh, you know, two girls are, are taking care of a particular uh, women's ministry or youth ministry, and they come out and say that they're gay? Can you say, well, you can't be leading our, our, you know, our, our young girls? Can you do that? And then, well, very importantly, for those who actually have a facility, we rent from a uh, private academy, a wonderful auditorium, and I, I'm jealous every time I come into a place like this because we set up and take down every week. How many people can I identify with my pain? Okay. You know, <clears throat> but for those who actually have, A facility, uh, what if somebody comes to you and says, I want to use your facility, uh, and they're going to hold some kind of a uh, event that is in contradiction to the Bible, can you say no to them, or are you going to get sued, uh, you know, for discrimination? Uh, What does this whole world mean now for us as churches? And the good news is we're still under the First Amendment to the Constitution. The churches today uh, enjoy the freedom of religion, Uh, but what's changed is now we have to be more intentional than we've ever been to prove what we believe. So in the old days, my day, uh, uh, Rich Wilkerson's day over Trinity, we used to be able to say we believe the Bible, and that's all we had to say to be able to qualify what we believed. Now it's important for us to say we believe the Bible says this about that. And so a statement of faith is something that when we're creating bylaws, we're launching churches for you guys, when you call us and say, we want to start a church, give us the right documents, uh, you know, uh, there are other groups that do it, but but in my particular group, we're all lawyers, and we're thinking past lunch. We're thinking, what does this mean in the big scheme of things? It's not just getting a template and, and pushing a button. You might get something, and what you get wouldn't be wrong. It just may not be right. And you won't know until it's too late. And so we've got to be thinking, do you have a statement of faith? Uh, And you say, yeah, you know, I got mine off the Internet and, you know, it's worked for years. Well, now, does your statement of faith address sexual orientation issues? Uh, If not... Uh, we need to bring them in because that's going to be the key of saying we believe this isn't just a passing trend. Uh, It isn't a fad. This is our our conviction as a church. This is what we believe on these issues, and here's the scriptures of why we believe it. So a statement of faith is essential uh, as far as what's going on. So do you have to require same-sex couples? The answer is no. Uh, we're we are we are under the first amendment to the constitution we have freedom of religion we can practice our religion any way we want to we just have to prove what we believe and that's what's changed everything's intentional now it's not just a big brush that we can just sweep everything under so again you know how how can you prove what you believe if you have bylaws, it's important to have them reviewed and then amend and restate those bylaws to make sure your statement of faith is, is clear in there. Uh, you know, If you ha- don't have one yet, we can, we can craft those for you uh, to make sure that the bylaws have a statement of faith. And as long as that statement of faith is clear on what you believe about these issues, you're okay. Same thing on celebration. Uh, you know, you're not required to uh, conduct same-sex renewals of vows for the same reason. First Amendment. But if there's ever a firefight, it's gonna, they're going to look at your bylaws, they're going to look at your legal documents, and they're going to look at your statement of faith and say, show me where this is a conviction, not just a preference in your church. Okay? This is very important. Can you refuse to employ a person on your staff who's gay or homosexual transgender? The answer is you can't. Uh, you can actually say uh, what we do when we draft employment agreements for the churches and we give, we give you something to work with, uh, there's a check the box moment that I have read your statement of faith and fundamental beliefs and agree to abide by it to be on your staff. It's part of the employment agreement. So then if they come out, then you can fire them for religious reasons, which is under the First Amendment of the Constitution. It's not state employment law, it's, it's the Constitution that you're coming under at that point. But you're gonna look at that, at that statement of faith, and the employment agreement should point to it and say, I read it and I agree to abide by it. And the same thing happens in the volunteers. We create volunteer agreements, where you know, some, some churches don't mind what your sexual orientation is or your particular stand on uh, you know, uh, sexual issues is if you're gonna park cars. Uh, But they really care if you're going to work with the kids. They really care if you're going to lead Bible studies. They really care if you're going to do a a home group or a connect group. Uh, And so your volunteer agreement. I've read your statement of faith and fundamental beliefs. I agree to abide by it. This is a package of, of forms that you can get. And if you contact me, I can get them to you because you need to have these served up and they're state-specific. And so sometimes we have to work with uh, associate attorneys. We're part of the Christian Legal Society and I've also taught in law school at Regent University for about a decade. And so I've got graduates all over the country that I can call and say, listen, I need, you to review this under your state to check the box and say yes. We've had a you know a, a state uh, a, an attorney in Louisiana, which again Louisiana is like you know another planet. Uh, they have their own law. It's called civil law. Uh, but you know the, the idea is we have somebody in that in that particular jurisdiction. Uh, but again, there should be a volunteer agreement that throws to that statement of faith. That's why that initial bylaw set is huge. And again, if you've inherited a church, it's time to scrub it uh, and make sure that it's up to date. That's something that should just be happening. And this is huge. Can I offer up my facilities, uh, you know, to an outside group? If you let an outside group use your church facilities without having them sign what I call a facilities use agreement, you've just opened up your church as a public use, which means you can no longer say no to anybody. That's significant because a lot of, God's given us some really nice properties, you know. So I had a I had a pastor who just remodeled their church in Philadelphia, uh, and it was all that cool scrub wood industrial look. And it was so cool that Lifetime Television approached them and said, "We'd like to, uh, you know, rent your facility to do a documentary." So the pastor called me on the phone and he said, "Can I do that?" I said, "Well, do you have a facilities use agreement? Because what the facilities use agreement says is, hey." God gave us this church. It's it's been given to us as a trust from God, primarily for the members of the church. But we make it available to to the community as a gesture of kindness and the generosity of God's heart. However, if you're going to use our facility, you have to have read our our statement of faith and fundamental uh, uh, truths and agree that you are not going to violate them or contradict them by your use. And it includes not just sexual orientation, but we throw in the kitchen sink in Galatians 5. Adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, uncleanness, wrath, sedition, strife, heresy, drunkenness, murder. We don't believe in any of those, okay? So if you're gonna do any of those, you're violating our statement of faith and we can say no to you or if we hear that you're going to you know, to, to do it then we can pull the contract and again not get embroiled in some lawsuit and there are just hundreds of thousands of dollars being wasted in unnecessary legal proceedings just because of a set of documents was not created you know in the church at the right time to be able to answer these questions so we have the protection Uh, We don't have to shrink back as churches. We can take all the territory God's given us. We just have to do it in the right way now and make sure that we're, that we're using, you know, wisdom. And so, uh, again, so I said, do you have the Facilities User Agreement? He said, no. I said, well, first of all, you need it. He said, how fast can I get it? And I said, give me about 10 minutes. I'll get one to you. Uh, uh, and, and, and then if Lifetime Television signs it, if they're going to have a documentary on, you know, of, uh, bullying in the schools, that's great. If they're going to have a documentary on sexual uh, identity questions, that are going to school. That's a problem, you know? Uh, and so uh, two weeks later, I got a call from the same pastor. He said, we've got two le- women in the church. They're lesbians. We love them. We're glad that they're here. They don't have any position of authority, but they have their own nonprofit, and they would like to rent the facility for a seminar a workshop that they're doing. Can I do that? And I said, same answer as two weeks ago. It depends, uh, first of all, they need to sign that they've read your statement of faith and fundamental beliefs. If they're going to do uh, a workshop on life skills, on mentoring, on tutoring, uh, uh, on computer skills, is great. If they want to do a track on same-sex parenting, we have a problem. And now you can say no to that. You see how important this is? So, so it, you know, it, it, it's available. The point is we've got the tools. We just need to pull them out and use them. Okay, don't leave them on the shelf. So to encourage you as churches and and church leaders, you can do whatever God's put on your heart to do. Uh, you know, you don't have to marry people you don't feel uh, in your conviction to do. You don't have to celebrate uh, uh, different sexual orientation issues if you don't want to. You don't have to hire people, or you and yes, you can fire people if they are actually, uh, you know, violating your scriptural uh, beliefs. Uh, and and again, you know, uh, you you can give uh, volunteers their own space and and and. Ask these tough questions uh, and uh, go, go ahead and let them go. You don't have to expose your children uh, or your young people or your key folks to leaders who are not you know, following the Bible. And very importantly, you can open up your facilities. We want people to come in. We want people to see the church, and we want to see, you know, the excellence that the Lord is, is able to provide, but they've got to follow our facilities use agreement, okay? So this is a tool. We're just, I'm just going to give you, this is, we're just highlighting some tools here. Uh, you know, uh, another thing that for those of you who have facilities is the whole idea of protecting the assets of the church. Uh, in many cases, uh, we are second, third generation inheriting the blessings, the tithes, the offerings of generations before us. And so we're stewarding uh, something from generations before, and we want to not only uh, keep it but grow it for the generations to come. And so when you're incorporated, uh, then then we can talk about the importance you know, of protecting the assets. Creating the right structure around the church can protect the assets. And so when people ask me what my elevator speech is as far as what we do— we preserve, protect, and pass on assets. That's what we do. That's my assignment in the body of Christ is make sure we wrap them, protect them, preserve them, and then pass them on. And so if your church is not incorporated, many of you might say, well, why is Ark so insistent on churches incorporating? And that's because an unincorporated church is the most porous Legal structure you could ever think of. Uh, theologically, you might run into some of the old guard and say, "Well, we don't want to incorporate because we don't want the state involved in our business." Well, guess what? They're already involved in your business. That's where you get the designation unincorporated association. It comes from the state code, you know. And so, you know, if the church is not incorporated, uh, you know, it, it it exposes the church, the assets, and the leaders to personal liability. And so if something goes sideways in church and you're not incorporated, the pastor's personal assets are available. The deacon's personal assets are available. The elder's personal assets are available because it's an unincorporated association. It's called joint and several liability. So if we're all the leadership group of our church and and some legal moment happens, that breaks through our insurance or whatever, they don't have to Treat each one of us equally. Joint and several liability means they can hunt through the pack and see who has the most assets and just take yours. Joint and several liability, it's a horrible, you know, reality to go into. And so again, you know, it's something that you don't want to be involved in, that's why you want to incorporate. And one of the the chapters in the book is, is talking about beware of the cut and paste mentality. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends who have incorporated and borrowed other people's uh, documents. So, well, it for them. I'll just use their bylaws or i just use their stuff. You know, and, and it's actually, you know, very dangerous because what you get may not be wrong. It just may not be right. And the very time you need it because you haven't had it reviewed and really given to you for your church the way you do church. Uh, years ago, I, I had my knee replaced. I tell the story in the book, and it was from a basketball injury. I wish I could say it was because I was such a great basketball player. It wasn't. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. I had a high school uh, nemesis who was still held a grudge. He ended up being a B-1 bomber pilot. But I was going up for a layup, and he threw a cross-body block, and he blew my knee out. It's church basketball. <laughs> praise God. In love, okay? <laughs> yeah. uh, they carried me out on a stretcher. Uh, but but uh, So over the years, my knee... Uh, I, I never really had it operated. I had aspirated a couple times, but it became more and more lame. So my right leg started looking more like I'd just gotten off of an ox, you know. I was functioning, but I was functioning at a decreased level of ability. The church looks like this today. It's functioning but it's not in alignment. It's not, you know. Th- and, and over time, that becomes more and more acute. To finally, I was at a, a, a Eagles and Bears game in, in Philadelphia with Carl and and uh, the, uh, one of our pastors there, and I couldn't even walk from the parking lot because m- my my leg wasn't working. So I got my knee replaced. I did not go to my dentist to get my knee replaced. Dentists have a medical degree, but they don't know knees. And I've met so many people who will they'll they'll, they'll task a, a poor lawyer in in their in their congregation or somewhere in their world to draw up the most important documents in the history of the church. And a real estate attorney might know you know how to close or, or write a deed, but they may not know corporate law. Uh, a family lawyer you know might understand uh, you know some some different nuances in in custody but they may not know corporate law, and some corporate lawyers don't know church. And so I met, uh, I was um, uh, uh, counsel for an entire denomination, and their particular hierarchy, they've got overseers over different districts, and, and those are state offices, and then all the local churches connect to the state offices. And the state office is supposed to connect to headquarters, and all the property is owned that way. You know, And so I opened up a, a state office uh, incorporation that some corporate attorney had done, and he incorporated them but put them on an island. They weren't connected to anything. And so all the property that the state owned, they could have just gone and done anything they wanted to with it because it wasn't connected to national. you know. And the local churches weren't connecting properly to state. They went to a corporate attorney. They said, incorporate us. He incorporated them. But there wasn't that, that integration of the faith and the denomination with the actual bylaws. So, so you know, I know it's self-serving, but I'm saying go to an expert. And I'm not the only one in the country, but find somebody. This is what they do uh, because you've got to be able to figure out, for instance, in ARC, ARC has its own protocol. It has a set of recommended bylaws, but you can't just take those off the shelf and put them in your church. You still have to have a discussion. Is this going to work for you? It's a suggestion. It's not an order. The incorporation is an order. But the, you know, how the government inside, how you make decisions, that's something that can flex depending on who you are you know, as an organization. So you know, uh, find experts who actually do this. Incorporating is basically putting a shield around your church it's, at that time you move out of the unincorporated law into uh, corporate code which is lovely because basically it allows you to make decisions uh, you know, with a board of directors uh, and and you know take a vote uh, in an unincorporated association you as the pastor could say we want to do this uh, your whole team, Could say we want to do this you could bring it to the entire congregation and everybody say yes you still can't do it you have to go to the court and have the judge bless it in an unincorporated association Uh, uh, once you become incorporated now it's a board of directors it's ruled by the bylaws you know and again those bylaws can reflect how you do church how you make decisions, who has authority, when when do you have a vote, when do you not have a vote. And it comes into play, especially when assets start flowing from one side to the other, uh, and somebody cries foul. They say, wait a minute, you don't have the right to do that. Well, it's going to go to your bylaws. And the bylaws said we took a vote the way that the, the bylaws are set up. And so, yes, we do have authority to do that. So it's a tremendous shield I want to recommend to you. Uh, uh, I just want to move on to, uh, you know, the, the idea of um, using multiple weapons. And, and then we'll get to a and a uh, Again, going back to our, our particular uh, metaphor with the soldier. Many churches are organized like a junk drawer at your house. Am I the only one that has a junk drawer? Okay. You pull it out. If you get it in the drawer, you get everything that's in the drawer. All right? Many churches are organized that way uh, where, where all the assets are in one pocket. Uh, so maybe you've incorporated the church, but everything's in there. Uh, you get the property. You get all, you know, all the assets. Everything's sitting in church ink. So if there's a bad day that happens in church ink, they get everything. So one of the things we work with, with churches all over the country, is this thing called asset protection, where we start uh, separating the assets of the church into their own envelopes. They're called limited liability companies. And according to the IRS rulings, if daycare LLC, if the only owner is Church, Inc., daycare LLC enjoys the tax exemption. Of Church Inc. However, it also enjoys its own individual identity. So, if something bad happens in Daycare LLC, it stays in Daycare LLC. They can't get to the property, which is the trust that we have of ties and offerings of generations that we're try, trying to preserve and protect okay? So uh, it, we had a church that had a daycare. It was a preschool, preschool, and one of the volunteer workers just mistakenly gave the wrong breast milk to a baby, which in that state was assault and battery. Wow. Just a human error. Well, the parents, you know very understandably went nuts. Everybody had to have tests and all of that kind of stuff. But then as they began to hunt around, because a few lawyers were whispering in their ear, well, why don't, you know, this is a pretty big church. they got big assets. Why don't you see what's going on? They realized the daycare was, uh, you know, an, a limited liability company. It owned nothing. It rented the facility, you know, from, from Church, Inc. Uh, it didn't own the furniture. All it had was payroll, bills and so there was nothing to go after in that particular moment. And so this could be a big deal. I mean, if you have we I have some churches that have dozens of buses and they're going fanning out all over a, a metropolitan area and sometimes in some pretty rough areas. And some weird things can happen on those buses. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so in those particular cases we drop down a transportation LLC. It owns all the buses and the church rents the service. From the transportation LLC, the drivers work for the transportation LLC, the insurance is sitting there with the transportation LLC. So if something bad happens, uh, the transportation LLC assets are at risk, I'm not Inc. You see what I mean? So, so this is where we're putting on the equipment, Uh, and this is not like new law. This is settled law throughout the country. Every state, we've been able to employ this kind of asset protection, and that can go on forever. Uh, If the church wants to drop drop down a campus, it can be you know uh, it it, it can be uh, Birmingham. Uh, campus LLC, and then it can be uh, Toledo LLC, and it can be Virginia Beach LLC, and each campus can have its own limited liability company. And what's happening in there stays in there. So again, you want to take all the ground that God's given you, but you want to use wisdom. And so these things are available to us. So uh, and and just kind of finish up some thoughts really quickly, and then uh, we'll go to Q and A. Q&A. Uh, you want to have. Uh, key person uh, life insurance for many of, of your churches. Many of the startup churches, you know, are, do revolve around a person. We know that Jesus is the star. Uh, he's he is absolutely there's there's no one like him. But many times God will raise up a couple or a person, and, and then you get into a building program, and people have been drawn to that anointing to that that couple for whatever reason. If something happens to them, it can gravely affect the finances of that church. And so the way you address that transition time, that disruption time, is to get key person insurance on that key couple or that key uh, pastor. So if something does happen during that lag where you're getting a a new leader and the succession is being uh, followed under the bylaws, and if the offerings go go south a little bit, uh, it doesn't ruin the church at that point. You know, and so key person insurance can be a, a, a very important thing. I can talk to you about that or someone else that you know in your world. But uh, remember, this is another tool. Uh, and then another thought is every church should have what's called directors and officers insurance. Uh, that key group, your board of directors, your pastors, uh, uh, your decision makers, if somebody sues the church, they're going to name people. And so, if you don't have directors and officers' insurance, then uh, they're defending themselves. Maybe they'll end up being, oh, they will be if it's incorporated, uh, unless there's been some illegal activity, they'll They won't be personally liable, but they've had to front their own legal costs. But if you have directors and officers insurance, which is very inexpensive, uh, it's a rider that just goes on your normal hazard insurance in your church, uh, then the, the insurance company protects and actually prosecutes that matter from day one. So your, your, your leaders are not having to pay out of their own pockets. The church is not having to pay out of its own pocket for some legal defense because you have directors and officers insurance. So, again, it's another tool that we can use. And a lot of these things are in the book just to remind you, but just trying to touch the bit. So, again, you know, we're talking about every weapon that God has issued. And other things we talk about, you know, uh, in there is, is uh, uh, don't give a novice a gun. Uh, that's about who do, you, who do you have as your board of directors. That's not your golfing buddy. Uh, you know, it, it's not your, your best friend that you play cards with or whatever. Uh, selecting a board of directors is a huge thing. Uh, they have the legal authority and the legal accountability, and the, the law is going to look to them uh, for the decisions that are made in the church. And so there's a chapter about that you know, in, in, uh, in the book. Also, who owns the sermon? Uh, In the days that we live in today, many of us have a bigger footprint than just the local pulpit that that we're serving at. So if you you create a sermon, uh, or your pastor does, and they use church resources to create the sermon, and they preach it in your church, and then they uh, uh, burn a CD, and they take it out to a conference and sell it, who gets that money? Who owns the sermon? It's called intellectual property. Uh, and the answer is, it depends. <laughs> okay, that that yeah, and, and we explain that in, in the particular book that that it, it really depends. If uh, for instance, T.D. Jakes, we all know him, we love him. Uh, he's got three different ways that, that his sermons hit the Potter's House. So if he designs, if he if he uses Potter Potter's House uh, facility and on their time and preaches it there, uh, it's a Potter's House. Uh, property at that point. He can have a license agreement where he buys the rights to be able to take that out. And so he pays a fair market value for that. And then whatever he sells it for on on the road is his. So that's one model. The church owns it. We have to pay for it. Uh, He also has T.E. Jakes Ministries. And so he'll create some things and take them out uh, to different conferences and bring them into Potter's House. So he owns that. The ministry owns that, you know. And then there's T.D. Jake's Enterprises where he's got an entire uh, stream that he works in that has nothing to do with his nonprofit purpose. Uh, He pays tax on that, but he owns it. So it depends, but it's thinking. You know what are we doing? And a lot of that would revolve around the contract that you have with your pastor. Does your employment agreement with your pastor require him to be solely, exclusively, or her, uh, the the pastor in that church, and that's their full-time job, and, and, and that's it? Or does that employment agreement reflect a broader calling that they might have that the church permits them to have? And so, again, you know, who owns the sermon is a whole other subject, Uh, Don't Overheat Your Weapons, that chapter in the book is talking about IRS hotspots. And just to boil it down very quickly, the IRS has a problem when people make too much money and are representing a nonprofit or especially a church. Okay, It's called Excess Compensation. It's an IRS hotspot. And so somebody once asked me, you know, when should we have a compensation study done by an outside group like us or someone else to be able to protect the church in that that, particular paradigm? And uh, uh, the answer is when the pastor in his total compensation is going to make more than the IRS judge that he's in front of. (laughs) 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 Which is usually six figures. Okay, so once a pastor is making about $100,000 or more, uh, you know, in total compensation, then the book is explaining how you should have a compensation study done. Uh, by an outside party so that you can rely on that and say, listen, it wasn't my idea. They did, they, they did comps all over the the country. They did churches like ours and towns like ours with assets like ours, with education like ours, and there's the range. And so as long as we're in that range, then we're, we're not violating excess compensation rules for the IRS. Talks about stuff like that. Uh, and again, uh, you know, the, the exit plan and, and not going to war alone, Uh, The idea is, you know, bring in the troops when you need them. So I don't want anybody to leave here feeling like you have to do this alone. We'd miss the whole purpose of the conference if we left uh, that way. But I want to encourage you, there are folks who do this. Uh, And whether it's me or someone else, just make sure whoever you pick uh, understands corporate law and understands the church. And without both of those working together, what you get is just not going to be probably what you need. And you need a comprehensive visual going on in the person's mind to see how all the parts are going to work together so you can create a framework you can use for generations to come is that good, yeah, good. amen okay so let's do some q a guys have any questions yes sir so on the bylaws um like let me just read this because i worded it in my mind so our statement of faith is, is more harsh than we care to enforce. Mm-hmm. So take the subject of homosexuality. It, like, way overshoots it so much. As it's almost like if you're gay, we can kick you out of the church. Uh-huh. But I very much subscribe to the concept of you can belong before you believe. We have a gay couple, a female right. couple, that we they, they serve coffee, and I feel like they're capable of doing that Beautiful. even though they – Yeah. And, and so is it – okay, so you know how the a neighborhood association, if you don't enforce all of the rules yeah. – You can't enforce any of them. Is it dangerous if we're too harsh and not enforcing it? Yeah. Uh, Did everybody hear the question? Because it's a great one. The answer is absolutely. It's a problem. Because where all the litigation happens is is if you're going to be ambiguous and inconsistent. Because then it no longer looks like a conviction. It looks like a preference. And once you go into preference, you've lost the the Constitution. I would suggest you rewrite the Bible or your, your statement of faith to be a little bit you know, yeah, not looser, but just basically not require, right. you know, someone, you can't, you know, you can't come, you know, if, right. if you're like that. So, uh, and then and then if you have a volunteer agreement, if you have uh, things, you could still have volunteers that don't have to check that box. You just have that check the box. I've read the Statement of Faith, Fundamental Beliefs for your sensitive areas. So I've got a lot of churches that reserve that portion of the volunteer agreement for their sensitive areas. So you could sit down with the girls and say, hey, listen, I mean, Carl in New York, you know, when he had, he had a couple people, uh, 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 my son Carl, uh, pastor Hillsong in New York City, and he had a couple uh, that were on the first or second season of Survivor. Wasn't it Survivor, Kath? And they were leading in the choir and they came out uh, you know, and, and said that they were gay and they go to Hillsong and they left their church, you know. And, and it was like, you know, oh, you know what, Brookless, and, uh And so uh, Carl met with them, met with everybody, and just said, listen, first of all, we love you. We want you to come here. Uh, the, the worst thing in the world we could think of is that this would not be your church. However, you can't serve in that position and be gay. You just can't. We believe the Bible. That's who we are. We can't change that. But we want you to be here. Uh, And so some of them left. He had a group. He had a meeting with everybody who identified that way. And half of them left the church, and half of them stayed. They said, "We still love this church. We're staying." You know. So, you know, it's just it. It just depends on. That's what I'm saying. It's a great question because the wording in all of your documents really matters now. And and they're intentional. And we have to. We just can't wing it anymore. I mean, is this really saying, you know, what we want it to say, and are we following through? Inconsistency opens up Pandora's box for you. Yeah, yeah. great question. Yeah. Yes, sir. Some of what we're going through is we're growing a lot faster than some of our systems were in place for, and so, like, we're a uh, denominational church, for our client as well. Um, how much of legal stuff should we try and do, not in-house like we're doing ourselves, like hacking stuff together, but... Um, even finance stuff of, like bookkeepers like what's your recommendation on having an in-house versus having a third party do it is I um, like what's your recommendations that's a great it's a great question one of the things we talk about about don't give a novice a gun we talk about again the the qualifications of the people who are actually you know serving I was in a in a church in the western part of the United States and they'd called me in to um organize the church to just kind of review, do a legal review, tell us where we are, tell us what we need to change. So I was sitting in a room, a, 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 a conference room, about 12 people. And the team was going around, they were introducing themselves, uh, and we got to the treasurer and the accountant, you know, the in-house accountant. And she said, well, first of all, I just want to thank Pastor Jones for giving me this job since I got out of the penitentiary. And I'm looking around the room thinking, this is a joke, right? But nobody's laughing. And so after the meeting, I got with the pastor. I said, Brother, tell me about Sister Smith. He says, Yeah. He says, Yeah. She and her husband got wrapped up in money laundering and racketeering. <laughs> but she didn't do it. But she was just an unwitting pawn. But yeah, she had to do time. And she just got out. He had his pastor's hat on, he did not have his business hat on. Okay, And I said, brother, you understand you cannot have a convicted felon <laughs> as your treasurer and as your accountant, you know, as a fiduciary for the church. So you would be surprised at how people are hearts, because we're pastors. We're not thinking legal. We're not thinking dark side. I mean, one of the advantages of being a Christian is we're hopelessly optimistic. Yeah. One of the disadvantages is we're hopelessly optimistic, okay? So we have trouble going to the dark side. But I would say qualification is a big thing. It's not just a warm body. So if the person has qualifications, sure, you know, let them, let them work with you however you can. I don't think you can afford, though, to, to pass over on getting your legal documents and structure done because everything flows from that. and Everything flows to it. Everything flows from it. Everything builds on it. OK, and so but, yeah, as you're assembling your team, uh, you know, if you've got a local lawyer and you've got a lease to review, uh, you know, somebody's in the church, I, I, I think that's something, you know, you try to bring them in. You know, you've got a real estate attorney and you're going to rent a commercial space. Let them look at the lease. I mean, that's that's a good application of that. But having them drafting the documents or, or bringing somebody in who, uh, you know, is is really not qualified to handle your finances. Uh, and I think the ARC template requires, you know, there to be a financial review, uh, you know, after the first, is the first full, full year? There needs, they actually say an audit, which I, we're changing that on the template because that, that's harsh. Uh, that's expensive. That's something that most startups can't do. But a fan, financial review, I think, would be practical, you know, to at least have that and there be some kind of a reporting. Yes, sir. What's your thoughts on a 501c3 or versus maybe a B Corp or any other B instrument? It's a great question. The, the, the difference, the question is, what, what's my thought between a 501c3 and a, uh, a B Corporation? First of all, all churches, by virtue of being a church, are tax-exempt. Let me say it again, okay, because people will come and they'll say, do you have you know, uh, a, a letter from the IRS? You don't need a letter, because of the first amendment to the constitution you are tax exempt however many churches will go to the next step and do a 501c3 filing because they'll get a letter it's called a recognition of exemption so the letter from the irs doesn't make you exempt it recognizes that you are exempt because of what you do and so many churches that are going to uh, have a broader profile will go to the extra step of filing for a 501c3. We've done thousands over the last uh, 20 years. Uh, and only in one instance did we have a hairy moment, and it was because a pastor, uh, uh, was, uh, uh, he did his own. And, and this was a guy who had never left his hometown. Uh, his church was like 25 people. But his dream was to, you know, rescue uh, uh, sex slaves and everything. And everything in his application was naming countries that were on the watch list. (laughs) And so his application got thrown up, you know, to Homeland Security and everything else. And of course, they were turning him down. And he came in. He was befuddled. He said, "What do I do?" I said, "Well, I said "The, the." The way you file a 501c3 is you make it as boring as possible. (laughs) You don't have to tell every dream that's on your heart. You never want it to leave the first reviewer's desk. So, you know, we have church. We worship. We meet on Sundays. We teach children. Okay, next, you're a church, okay? So you don't want to say, and we're going to have 19 campuses all across Alabama, and then we're going to have Bible schools, and then we're going to plant churches in Africa, and, 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 and you know, in Sierra Leone, and we're going to rescue child soldiers. I mean, you, you just don't do that. You know, you just, so, so you can file for your own C3. You get the letter. The letter can help you if you're in a building program. Okay? Many uh, local uh, authorities will, will ask you, Do you have that letter? Uh, I want to give you uh, money off of your uh, building materials or whatever. They want to see the letter. They don't understand. You don't need a letter. But sometimes, if, if it works for you, it's good. If you have a lot of internationals, and I think we're going to have to wrap it on this, but, but if you have a lot of internationals in your church, the INS doesn't care about the irs or the constitution they want to see the letter so if your church is going to be sponsoring a lot of internationals like you guys at trinity and florida and and different folks like that it's probably good to go ahead through go through the exercise churches do not have to report their finances even though you're a 501c3 tax-exempt organization there's no reporting ministries do so uh, you have to file a 990 every year, and you need to report. And so there's a big difference, and I mentioned that in the book. There's a big difference between a ministry and a church. Uh, and if you're a church, you want to file as a church because you don't have to do any of the reporting. Then if we do Church Inc. and drop down the babies, they don't have to report because they're under your 501c3. It's a church. However, if you've created an entity called Steve Lentz Ministries, Uh, and it's a tax-exempt organization, I have to file a 990 every year. So I'm reporting. So again, it's picking the right entity for what you're going to do. Does that make sense? Great question, so. Wish we had more time, but I want to respect the next session, but I love you guys. The books are done in the the bookshop, and uh, feel free. And take a business card and call me. I don't charge for the phone call. Let me talk to you and hear your story and see if I can help you, Okay. God bless you. Okay.